This morning, I just want to get right into it. If you get your Bibles out and you go to the book of Nehemiah, actually Nehemiah is between two books, Ezra and Esther. And if you don't know where that is, look on the table of contents and it'll tell you what page it's on. And um, yeah, I just want to, I want to go through a story in the Bible and, I want, and we're going to take it for the next three weeks. And if you have, you know, some of you may know who Nehemiah is, some of you may not. But I want to introduce you to him this morning. Is that all right? And so what I want to do, my goal this weekend is to share the big picture of the story and to begin to apply it, how we can apply it to our personal lives, but also to OSC as a church family. So I believe it's a very significant word. It's an important word, not just for us as individuals, but us as a church. And so I want to show you what Nehemiah talks about and what we're going to do, what we're doing as a church family together. Nehemiah's story is a lot about vision and leadership. Say when we say vision. Say leadership. If I didn't have these glasses on this morning, I could read my notes. And for some of you know, and I, I can see at the end down there, but when it comes to close things, I need these now. So when y'all look at me, I've, I've already come to the fact, when I preach from now on, you're going to see me like this. Okay, just, it's gone to that point, you know. And so, but the, the, the thing is, is that, you know, there's books that have been re- written about Nehemiah. There's books that have been written about his vision, his life, and re- his responding to the call of God on his life. But I think you'll find it totally, you won't find it totally aligned that we learn to build. I want us to learn how to build beyond ourselves. You know what? What that means is you've got to get beyond yourself. You know, sometimes when we pray, all we do is we, our eyes are on us. And we don't see anything else around us because our eyes are so much on us. We don't see the world around us. And so this morning, let me just tell you a little bit about Nehemiah. It's in the time of Israel's history where they're, they're scattered. And they're no longer a kingdom. They're not even a divided kingdom of Judah, Judah and Israel. They're actually, they're, 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 they're actually a, a, literally a group of scattered people. And if you want to use a historical term or a biblical term, they were exiles. We say exiles. I don't know how much you, you spend in the Old Testament, but this is a repetitive story over and over. The people of God, uh, God the people of God, his desire to reveal himself through his people. You know, God's always trying to, to reveal himself to us as people. Amen? Amen? And sometimes, you know, how many ever felt like, you know, where's God? And the heavens feel like brass. I mean, God's speaking. I mean, they have favor, but I don't seem to have anything going my way. You ever feel that way? You see, the people that he's desiring, God has a place for them. God has a land for them. God has a culture for them. And he has a word for them. But they get off course just like we do today. Amen? Amen. And so what happens is they get stuck in a ditch and God has to come bail them out time and time and time again. And so what does that mean? How many of you today, God has had to bail you out of a ditch before? You know, it's kind of like going in the mud. We like playing in the mud in South Louisiana. We like four-wheelers, three-wheelers, if you got the old kind. We like four-wheel drives. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, we like mud. But there's a lot of things is, you know, you ever drive by and you go, <laughs> they stuck. <laughs> and all of us as men around here go, well, I got the, I got the TA, you know, all AT, that you talk about your tires, and well, I'll get that man out of there. 
My, my greatest glory in all of my life was when I had my Toyota Tacoma and some guys got stuck in the mud and they were in a big F-150 Ford pickup truck. This is the gospel true story. They called me, they had four-wheel drive, and I didn't even have to yank them out. I just like barely pulled them out. You know why they lightened the Ford F-150s now? Because they're easier to push. Anyway, just... Anyway, just... I got everybody mad at me. I didn't want to. Look, I see pink fingers point. Y'all, listen, at least y'all mad about something this morning. Lord, yeah, pass the bubba. Y'all don't go flatten my tires or street tires. I ain't got my mud tires yet. I'm getting it one day. Anyway, then you see God, you know, you know, it's like, then you see God's way. I mean, you know, when you get stuck and all of a sudden you go, wait a minute, God's way was a little bit better. Then the way I was trying to do something. Men, how many of you, when your wife tells you to do something, you start, you know, if you just do it this way, and if you just, you don't listen, honey, but if you just do that, and then after a while, you literally have to humble yourself. Now, you don't want to say it. You kind of like the Fonz. Remember, I'm, he couldn't say, I'm sorry. Remember that? Happy days. You know, the old, okay. Then you got to come to that point where you go, I should have listened. And then here's the point. You were Right. And so what happens is, is that we get off course, we get, we get, we get caught in that ditch, and God's, God's way is much better. And see, so now God is gathering them, and it's a period that they're, they're, the people, they're really in the ditch, and they're dispersed everywhere. And Nehemiah is actually in the modern day, what we would know as a country of Iran. He's actually... A part of, he's in the Persian kingdom. And what happened, he's serving, his, and he has the most interesting job that most of us can't even relate to, and we've never even seen in our lives. He's a cupbearer for the Persian king. Cupbearer. Let me ask some. You know, a cupbearer, let me go, well, Pastor Bo, what's a cupbearer? Let me just tell you a little bit. A cupbearer is a man who has to taste the drink or taste the food before the king does because what they would do is people would try to poison the king. So, we, so if the cupbearer drank it or ate it and he died, you know, the king goes, I ain't eating that. <laughs> but if he lived, what happened, he would go, it's cool. It's okay to eat. And so if the king had to drink something, Nehemiah had to drink it. You know, it's, it's kind of like the modern day kind of uh, secret service. What they do is they protect the president, they, they buy his food. You know, they can't even go to the grocery store and buy their own food. They have, to, they have the secret service has to go buy their own food. There's a certain way the secret service has to walk around the president. You see him all with these little things, kind of like, you know, you know he's moving to the right. You know, go. And, and they teach, they, they, they walk him to Air Force One, and they walk him from Air Force One. And, and so Nehemiah is trusted. See, in order to be secret service, and we've heard a lot of things over the years lately about secret service, running into the White House and all that. But anyway, and Nehemiah was trusted by the king. The king had to drink something. Nehemiah would drink it first. We don't relate to that. I, can I just be honest with you? I've never met a cupbearer. I've never even seen a cupbearer. But you know, can I just make a confession? I am the cupbearer for my kids. When we go to Dairy Queen, I take a taste before they do. Come on. That's the closest thing I know about being a cupbearer. And when I do that, my kids go, oh, dad, that's sick. You know, and so what happens is, so Nehemiah had a good gig. He's got a, he's hanging out with the king all day long. I mean, he's eating like a king. He's hanging, he meets important people that the king meets. He lives in the palace. He's got it, like my friend, he got it going on. He's got it going on. And not only that, the crazy thing, 
He's got a great life. Life is great. While all his people are scattered and they're suffering. What I love about this story in Nehemiah, and we're going to get into it. He's just a regular guy and God is about to use him big time. Look at your neighbor and go, you're just a regular person. God loves using regular people. You know that? See, Nehemiah is doing his job, and all of a sudden, his friends, you can go to Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, and I'm going to read. And they show up, and they come back. they've just come back from the promised land, God's land, and all Nehemiah does, this is all he does. He asks a question. He just asks a question. And really what he does, and Hannah, one of his brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them, here he is, about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well. For those who return to the providence of Judah, they are in trouble. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Now notice how Nehemiah responds. Look at the next verse 4. When I heard this, look what he says. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to God of heaven. Have you ever had one of those moments with God where he just shakes you and you just can't get rid of it? I mean, I'm talking about you're just shaking. You're overwhelmed. You're just like, wait a minute, this is heavy. This, what, I wasn't expecting this answer. I wasn't expecting to hear what you're telling me. And when he tells him what's going on, there's something inside of him. You know, sometimes, can I just be honest? Sometimes I've been overwhelmed by the lost hope of people sometimes that they have. Families in this area, I can't stop weeping. When you read the paper, just go look at the paper. Every day there's someone being arrested for drugs, for alcohol, counterfeit money, or are, are a PCP, or, or, or whatever. And you see all these things, and you see and you hear stories of people taking their lives, and it seems like there's no hope. How many am I talking about? I mean, you don't have to go far. You don't have to go out of this city. You can go in this parish, and there's people all over. When I look at it, I don't know about if you've ever happened to you, but I, it, it's just not for pastors. This is for all of us. Every time people hang around Jesus, something happens. And you know what happens? All of a sudden, you get something that begins to grip your heart, and you just can't shake it. I remember the first time I grew up in Lafayette. I remember the first time I was in Portsmouth, Virginia. I, was, I worked in the inner cities all across America for eight and a half years. And I lived in almost every major. I met the people that I never knew that it was in America. I was just a, a middle class. No, I was upper middle class. Honky, Okay. And I walked into the inner city, and the first time in my life, I met someone that didn't have electricity in their house. Can I just tell you what it did to me? It shook me. I walked in the city where no one had a home. They had a box, or they lived in an underpass. It just shook me. It messed me up. You see, since he was shaken, he, 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 just Nehemiah couldn't shake it. He, and so he goes to the king. Now, he's not just, it, it, now it's not just, the, it, can I just say, for him going to the king and telling the king what's going on in him, and he feels like he has to do something, we're going to see that in a minute. This is kind of an awkward situation, because you don't just go to the king, because your life can be at stake with the king. But the king has an interest, because guess what? 
cupbearers that are trustworthy are hard to find. Hear what I'm talking about? And what happens is, it's not in the king's best interest to get rid of his cupbearer. Are you with me? And so, it takes a while to get a guy that you can trust to be your cupbearer. You see, now, I don't know if you've ever had a business partner, a friend, or assistant that has your heart. But can I tell you, when you have someone that has your heart, it's hard to let them go. It's hard to pass them down. It's just hard. You know, we've had people that have, that have left our church with our blessing, not just going, I'm out of here. You know, I'm not talking about that. That we literally blessed. And it was hard to let them go. Why? Because they played a vital role here. They were important. I think about Aaron Moore. You know, now he's filming for Hollywood and stuff, movies and stuff like that. When Josh was learning how to do videos and stuff, he had Zach and Aaron Moore, and they were, like, learning. And now those guys are surpassed Pastor Josh in what their knowledge is. I think of Alex Moore. That's just one family. Alex used to minister the kids before Bridget and Christy and many of the other people that, that serve. And how she, we, we let her go was like, Alex, stay. We have a burden. You need to stay. Our kids love you. You know? And it's like my, my kids still kind of bitter at me for letting Alex leave. I know Josh's are. That's true. She comes and visits. You see, but it's letting, sometimes I've learned this. Nehemiah comes to the king. See, he comes to the king with a dangerous request. Because, see, the king has life and death in his tongue. All right? And so what happens in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, says, early the following spring in the month of Nisan, that means it was a Nisan sale, anyway. (laughs) During the 12th year, I couldn't pass that up. Anyway. And extractorus, that means tax season's on the way, taxorus, all right, reign, was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. Have you ever had one of those moments where your mom looked at you? You're not sick. Come here. You're not sick. Stick out your tongue. No, you're not sick. What is wrong? Nothing, mom. How many of you know mamas can look right through you? What's wrong? You look sad. See, I can tell you this. There are people that wear their feelings on their face. How many of you know I'm talking about? And there's others that don't. Can I, just, can I make a confession? I wear my feelings on my face. Someone, someone came to me this morning. Pastor Bubba, you got a smile from ear to ear. Miss Tracy must be back home. <laughs> That's right. Hallelujah. And she ain't going anywhere for a long time. No, just, no, that's not true. They just know. The king, he'd been hanging out with the king. The king knew him. He knew his, he knew his personality. He knew his countenance. And what happened? Y'all with me? But he lived. I mean, I love what he, he replied. Long live the king. How I many you know you got to have a good line before you ask a question? <laughs> Long live the king because mine might be short. I don't know. <laughs> How can... How can I not be sad for the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? 
The king asked, well, how can I help you? Boy, what a great response, huh? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it please the king and if it please, if, if, it, if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. God gave Nehemiah favor. Say favor. favor. Look at me. Say like favor ain't fair. How many of you know God's favor just ain't fair sometimes? You ever have a good deal and everybody else had to pay a certain thing and you get in line and you get the deal that everybody wants and you just look at them and go, favor ain't fair. It's true. Favor ain't fair. God's favor just ain't fair sometimes. And God had favor on him and the king had favor. And he asked him, to. he said, look, I'm, I bless you. I release you. My blessings are with you. All you got to do is to report back to me. Let me know how things are going. Nehemiah steps out. We have no idea if he had particular skills. I don't know if he had design 101 uh, repair walls. I don't know, you know, what his skills. It doesn't say he didn't have any special skills that we know. He was a cupbearer. Okay? Cupbearer. How heavy is that? You know? He had no special traits. This is just like every story in the Bible. Noah built an ark. David faced Goliath, Abraham leaving his hometown, not knowing where God was going to take him. At some point in our walk with Jesus, can I just tell you something? Look at me. We all have a Nehemiah moment. Every one of us is going to have a Nehemiah moment. Where God says, hey, this is important to me. And can I just, and he stirs our heart because he said, hey, can we just sit and talk? I have something that's really, really important on my heart. And I want to tell you. You ever have those moments where God just tells you something and you're just gripped? Wait a minute. He stirs your heart so much that you have to do something about it. I'm going to show you these next couple of weeks that he's going to have some antagonist people. What does that mean? People that are just against you. Can I just tell you something? By the way, it's usually how you know that you're doing what God wants you to do when people rise up against you. Because most of the time, if you have no opposition, you may be living something that's not just as big as you are. It just may be you're living just, you're at a comfortable place. But see, the Nehemiah story is a bigger story. Can I tell you what? It's a bigger story of God. What do you mean, Pastor? Nehemiah's story is really a story of the great Nehemiah, who is Jesus. You know, in the Bible, there's shadows and types in the Bible. They're types. I'll give you an example. Um, you heard of Abraham. You heard of Isaac. You heard of Jacob. And then you heard of Joseph. What happens is we know that there's three generations. What Abraham did, just give you, this is off the sideline, just give you a little. Abraham, he dug wells and he built altars. When when. When, when Isaac came along, what he had to do, he had to go find those wells that his father had dug and repair the wells and repair the altars, redig the wells and repair the altars. And you look at Jacob, same thing. His name meant deceiver, conniver, manipulator. He would try to manipulate, connive and all that, but he had to go back and do the same. And then Joseph, we know that he was a deliverer. He was a type of deliverer. If you look at Joseph, he's actually a type and a shadow of Jesus because he's a deliverer. He delivers his people from bondage. You understand what I'm talking about? You're making sense. How many of you are learning something new from the Bible this morning? All right. Okay, good. Am I going too fast? No. Okay, thank you. All right. Pastor, just preach. Just don't go too fast. Anyway, 
Jesus who lives in us and who leads us to live like he does. How many believe he does that? By his Holy Spirit. Jesus left his palace to where he didn't need anything to fulfill his father's burden. Just like, look, at Nehemiah had to leave a, palace, a place of comfort, a place of ease. He left the palace. Jesus left heaven. I like to call it the hush of heaven. You imagine the announcement? Da, 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 tomorrow, Jesus is going to earth. You imagine the angels? Oh, help. What? <laughs> the hush of heaven. You know, he came to deal with the plight and the challenges and the sinfulness of foolish people. You know, chronologically, if you look at this book, it's not even the chronological order the way it should be in the Bible. It should be one of the last books in the Old Testament because actually it was just a couple of hundred years until because what happened is we know that Jesus' ministry was fulfilled in Jerusalem, right? And so what God was doing, he raised up Nehemiah, not only to protect, rebuild the walls, but prepare John the Baptist that he would come and he would begin to proclaim, repent. For the Messiah is coming and Jesus, and it fulfilled the place where Jesus literally walked and ushered into Jerusalem through the gates that Nehemiah repaired a couple hundred years before. And so what happens is, now Jerusalem, you see, so the sacrifice of these ordinary people is all about the bigger story of God. You see, what do you mean, Pastor Brother? You may ask, well, what does Nehemiah's story have to do with me, my, fam- my church family, my family, and the New Reach Center? Well, well let me just tell you, the process of building, you've got to learn this. There's three things I want to talk to you about. I'm going to be quick, okay? Not too quick. <laughs> the process of building beyond yourself. The first thing is, you have to become aware. Say it me, say Aware. At some point, you have to get past all the noise in life and have a Nehemiah moment. What do you mean? We we are like Nehemiah. We're consumed with nice things. Come on. How many like nice stuff, comfortable stuff? Okay. How many know there's a difference between people that have toddlers and people that have teenagers? Just go to the house. It's totally different. Once they grow up, they're talking, they're serving. You can have kind of adult conversation. Yeah, you know, you can keep the house kind of somewhat neat and nice. I had projects when my wife left. One of the things, I had to clean out the garage, and I found out one thing. I had one mess in the whole family. It was my son, Luke. He destroyed the whole garage. And I said, when he gets home, <laughs> I did have a talk with him. Brother, let me, I got on the phone. My wife goes, I told you. She'd been telling me, but I wasn't listening. And so what happens is, once you, you know, they get, but if you have toddlers, your house is a zoo. Amen. There's noise. The noise decimals are frightening. In fact, you can go, stop, stop, and they don't hear. <laughs> Come on, toddler parents. How many you know what I'm talking about? The noise is off the, you know, in the same way with our spiritual life, our life is so busy and crazy, it takes a while to hear God sometimes. Because we're all, I got to do this. I got to do that. Oh, I got to do this. is important. Wow, I got to get, well, we got to get this. Oh, you know, the Jones got the Thibodeaux, the Boudreaux's. It just gets crazy. You know, it happened to me 15 years ago. What do you mean, Pastor Baba? We first moved to Jennings. I was totally not aware 
Can I look at me? I was not aware of the needs of our community. Are you hearing me? I just wasn't aware. What do you mean? I was doing fine. I was in a growing church. I was working with my pastor, living the dream, working with my pastor, Pastor Jacob. You know, my kids were in sports. They were all in there. My wife had friends that we, when we moved to Lafayette from Tacoma, Washington, we were finally in a church with a place. And she had finally had her first new house that, she ever had, that we ever owned. And, and, and God, you know what, we had all these relationships. And, and God began to make me aware through my pastors and relationships that we needed a good church in Jennings, Louisiana. Now, let me just say, there are good churches here. I'm not here to say we're the only flavor in town. Can I just say that right now? There are good churches. But we knew that when God called us here, that we wanted to be a life-giving church, that people would have life, and they could walk out the doors, have hope, they can have destiny, and a dream for their life and their family. Amen? Amen. And so what happened is, God had to make me aware. And so what happens is, he had to show me stuff. I knew, look. You know, it's like Zach being in Crowley, okay, right now. He thinks he's in New York City. <laughs> I mean, you, we're going to send you to Crowley. Crowley, whoa. I mean, he, thought he's, he thinks he's living in Manhattan. <laughs> and then there came a transition. I looked at Pastor Josh. Josh, you're going to be the campus pastor here. And look what God's been doing since Pastor Josh has been doing, being the campus pastor. You know, Pastor Josh got, he got, let me just tell you, he got more administrative gifts than most of you have in your thumbnail. Okay? It's just a natural gift. And he's a blessing. But I tell you what, it wasn't just, and I'm going to get, but you know, just, just for us, it was, it was for Tracy and I. It was that way. When, I, when Josh was in our discipleship school, I said, come be with him. And he was like, well, I don't know if I want to be here. Then he started dating Lindsay, and he said, come move over. She was like, well, I don't know if I want to go there. And look what God's done. Because God's all about family. God's all about building family. Amen? And so, are y'all with me still? God had to bring an awareness, and it's about people. This is not about buildings. Can I just say that right now? This is not about buildings. It's not about space. This is about people God cares about. What do you mean, Pastor? Why am I so passionate about planting churches and outreaches? Because it's in God's heart. People are on God's heart. People. God loves people. It's not about having a big steeple. It's not about, it's about people. This is the church. This is your steeple. And here's all the people. That's the only thing I knew about church. You can do all that stuff, but the people won't come if you got a steeple. A God awareness is all about people. Why am I so passionate about that? You know, because you can sit here this morning, they, they, but in Welsh and Iowa and God's Cove and Hathaway and, and, and Mermental, and, and you, you know, you just begin to name all the cities around here and the little communities and the little coves. And there, are, there are couples that are they're work, they're, they're together right now. You know, there are a couple right now in, in our era that are talking about divorce. You know, there are people in our area, there's kids right now that are getting turned on to drugs, or they've been, they've been just, I'll just say it, they've been sexually molested, even right now. And we, we don't want to talk about that stuff. Listen, the newspaper is just a reflection of what's really going on. That's, that's just scratching the surface. 
You know, there are kids right now that are cutting themselves because they feel like there's no value. They feel like no one cares for them. Their choices that, you know, there are businessmen who have poured out their life and they poured their life in their company and they've tried and they're burnt out and they're frustrated. Then there are kids that, that are just doing all that. Listen, if you want to really know what's going on with kids, go serve at a school sometime this year. When we moved here, I told Pastor Josh, because when I was working with Pastor Jacob, I was doing 33 schools every week. Public school, speaking, going. We had clubs. And, stuff. and the first thing I looked at Pastor Josh, he was going to be, I said, man of God, go, go get in the school. Go get in the school. So Zach was in high school, so Josh had to. And the first week they had, they had like 200 kids show up. And then some religious person, look at me. I'm just going to tell you something. I'm going to say it like it is. Some religious person from somewhere else got jealous of what they were doing because kids started getting touched and kids started getting saved. And they brought the principal in, and he said, you know, we can't do it like this. we got to shut it down because we got to let every church in now. My question, where was every church before we came? And nothing against that. I'm just, you understand what I'm saying? It was just some, i got to be careful what I say because I don't want to sound. It's just someone that can't get their eyes off themselves and more concerned about their little club or their little social event than Jesus and the God's kingdom and eternity. I'm just trying to make you aware of what's going on around in our community. This is real life. Come on. You may choose to look the other way, but you can never say you didn't know again. Because when you see something and you know about it, you got to do something about it. When God makes you aware of the challenges around, you become accountable. To the things that you know that are all around you. I can remember as a kid where, you know what? I didn't just meet Jesus when I got saved. When I was 10 years old, I cried out to God. Listen, my mom and dad were getting the divorce. My mom, back in the day in Louisiana when I was 10 years old, your mama or your daddy had to be separated by six months from each other out of state. So my mom took us in the middle of the night, took us away. My dad didn't know where we were for six months. We were up actually on KPLC, pictures of, I was talking to my wife, we were watching the news, they had pictures of kids that were missing with the mom, she had taken off with them, and I said, Tracy, I was like that. Well, I met a guy about 10 years ago, I remember when you were a little kid, I saw your picture on KPLC, when you were a kid, your brother and your sister and you, and I'm like, yeah, I remember, wow. We had people looking, investigators, FBI, all that, looking, and I can remember, as a kid, one night my mom went to some meeting thing. And I snuck out. And I remember going and sneaking out. And I walked to a church. And I remember opening the door of the church. It was unlocked. They used to unlock churches, you know that? I remember, and it was, I don't, it, I don't know what kind of church it was, it was a church. And I remember walking in, and the floor was, one of them, you know, on the pillars and stuff. And I remember just walking, and I just, I didn't know much about God. But I just remember getting on my knees and said, God, and I just started crying. God, I hate what's going on. If you're really there, will you show me? 
that you care about me, that you love me. I don't know all the words I said. I was 10. Basically, that's what I was saying. You know, little did I know nine years later that I would have an encounter with Jesus and give my life to him. But can I tell you something? God records those moments. God makes us aware, and God's aware of your circumstances. And see, this moves us to the next thing. When you become aware, you know what? Then God starts giving you, like Nehemiah, a burden. Say it with me. Say a burden. What it moves from is, I know about the problems, so I'm personally burdened with what God has on his heart. In other words, a burden is simply a God-given weight. You can't shake it off. That's all it is. It affects the way you see the world around you. It affects the way you say things and the way you do things. It begins to consume your life. A burden for people. That's why my wife and myself, Pastor Josh and Lindsay, we have a burden for you. What do you mean by that, Pastor Bob? We have a burden. We think about you and we pray for you all the time. You know, let's, let me kind of tell you the burden of a pastor. Sometimes I'm not, I wake up and your face comes to me at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm not kidding you. I see you. And God starts dealing with me about you. And you just go, God, I just pray that you would just touch them, God. I know they're having problems right now with one of their children. And you don't know, sometimes I'd just like you to take, I'd like to take you with us for a week. And see some of the things. I remember Pastor Josh, I think Tracy told me when I was gone, he said, man, I can't wait till Pastor Bubba gets back. Because the people that he was counseling, the things. and You, you understand what I'm saying? And we're, not a, we've, we're all for that. But it's all of a sudden, it's a burden. You know what the burden is? I don't want you to be blinded by this world. And that you have no hope. But you know what? That we've got the God of all hope that's able to deliver from the uttermost, from the guttermost, wherever you're from. God is able. You see, it affects the way you see things. It, you know what? I love to tell stories of people's lives that have been changed by Jesus. It's awesome. Amen? Amen. There are stories of people who started with awareness and they moved to a burden and it produced transformation. They became a totally different person. And see, we're not talking about, let's, let, me, let me just say, we're not talking about something that's nice. We're talking about something that's vital. We're talking about eternity. Can I just be honest with you? We're talking about heaven and hell. We're talking about, talking about standing for Jesus one day and we're going to give account. Does that kind of bring a little reality to it? This is vital. It's important. And listen, can I tell you something? There's some churches nowadays don't say hell. Sometimes you don't say hell unless something falls on your foot. But there's a real heaven and there's a real hell. There's one day that we'll all stand. It's not to put fear in you. I don't want to motivate you by fear. I want you to be motivated for the love that God has for you. That he sent his son Jesus as a representation of his incredible love for you. That he would come and he would die on a cross. And then you know what? They couldn't keep him there. They put him in a tomb and they wrapped it with a stone and they put a seal on it. And they said, don't you let anybody come. Don't you let anybody steal this body. But we know what Jesus did. We know, hey, that was Friday. He was in the tomb. He was dead. He looked hopeless. Hell was rejoicing. That was Friday, but Sunday was coming. Friday, they put Jesus in the tomb. But they didn't know what Sunday was going to do. Saturday, they said, we won. 
<laughs> but guess what? Jesus got up early on Sunday. The Bible said he crushed the devil's head. Come on. Someone ought to get excited. You've been wanting to step on something for a long time. Crushed him. Broke the bonds of hell, death, and the grave. Stepped out of the tomb and said, say, your mama? Oh, by the way, you ain't got a mama. Hey. Sometimes you got to get personal with the devil. It continues to amaze me how foolishness, the foolishness of the gospel, preaching the gospel, telling, getting up here and telling the story, how it can change a person's life. That's a mystery to me. It's not about being funny. It's not about being articulate. It's not about being knowledgeable. It's the Word of God because the Bible says the Word of God can penetrate anything. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It'll pierce through every motive. Why are you doing what you're doing? Who are you doing it for? It'll show you what, you're, what, you're, what your heart is all about. And all of a sudden, you know, sometimes when I've been to church and I've heard some good preaching, it makes me walk, want to walk out the doors and go, you know what, God? I don't want to just hear it anymore. I've got to do something. I had to do something. I had to do something. I'm coming to the end, all right? Can I just tell you something? I didn't go into the ministry to be a real estate developer, to be a fundraiser or a contractor. I went in the ministry because at 10 years old, I had to cry out to God. And then at 19, Jesus met me, and he gave me a burden. He made me aware of my friends, how they were lost. And I love when my brother comes to church sometimes. I remember preaching to him. One day, they, were, they had some Jack Daniels they were going to drink. I said, you drink that? All of y'all drink that? I've, I've been saved like four days. <laughs> Man, and my preaching was hot. And I said, but if y'all drink that tonight, and you die in a car wreck, and you're drunk, you're all going to hell. I was strong, and I remember my brother come into my room that night, and he goes, man, you ain't my brother. You embarrass me. What are you thinking? He starts poking his finger in my back. and You embarrass me. Man, I can't believe you did that. And he'd get in his bed and go, oh, God, I pray for my brother Todd. I pray, God, that you would. Y'all laughing, I ain't. I was serious. I remember preaching to a guy on the strip one night. That's in McKinley Strip. I'm not a strip, but anyway. And his name was Bradley Blackstone. And, and what happened, he said, Bubba, that night you preached to me, you could have led me to the Lord if you would have known more about Jesus, how to lead someone to Jesus. He said, but for two years, I lived in Baton Rouge, and one night, God was speaking to me, and I was in my den, and the fan fell, and I just moved, and, I got, and it almost fell on me, and I knew God was speaking to me. Why didn't you tell me about Jesus? <laughs> he ended up giving his life. He said, but God, you, he said, you tormented me. That thing you tormented me for two years. I go, good. <laughs> I didn't know what I was preaching, but Good. Thirty salvations last week. Someone ought to get excited. Thirty salvations. Crowley had 178 people last week. They had nine salvations. Come on. Someone ought to get excited in the rice capital. You see, 
Can I just tell you, let me just give you the significance. We've had 80 people get saved this year so far at our Savior's Church. 80 people. That's incredible. Everything starts with a burden. Say it with me. Say everything starts with a burden. I'm so glad we have a church that has a burden for people to know Jesus. Here's the last point and I'm done, okay? The last thing is this. When you have, when God opens your eyes and you begin to get awareness and you get a burden, you're moved to take action. What do you mean, Pastor Brother? You decide to do something about it. Sit, I'm going to do something. Tired of it. When Pastor Josh and Lindsay found out the news about their son, they said, man, we got to do something about this. Because all the news is bad. All the people are telling, oh, you know, this and that. And, and it's like, at first they gave him, how many months to live? Six. Six months to live. How old is he now? Five. Five. How long ago was that? Over two years. Someone ought to give Jesus a hand clap on that. I don't know, how much money did y'all raise in two years to give to PR? $220,000. Don't you think they know who Josh and Lindsay is now? They got a special hotline. It's Josh and Lindsay. You better listen. They might have some more money ideas. You know what it did? It started, they weren't aware. They, there was awareness that came. Then there was a burden, not just for their son, but for other people. Guess what they had to do? They had to do something about it. You just have to do. You see, a burden is simply a God-given. It's like you don't just, let me just say, you decide to do something. You don't work to earn. Okay, can I just say that? What do you mean, Pastor Bob? Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. You don't work for it. You don't work for God's favor. You don't earn God's favor. You just got it. Say, man, I got it going on. I can remember as a kid, my, my teacher, she could bubble me can. You're the worst kid in here, but I love you more than anybody else. That's how God is. He goes, you know, because see, can I tell you something? My nature, let, let me say, how many of you know that we're all sinners? Okay, but when you come to Jesus, he forgives you. And we don't live by punishment anymore. We live by God's grace. And let me just, let me make a point here. And I'm not, gonna, I'm not trying to be new age or anything like that. I'm just going to share it straight up. Listen, I no longer, my sin nature has no more control of me. Are you hearing me? I'm controlled by the spirit of the living God. That it does, because see, if I let, if I let my flesh live out the way it was, I'm just, oh, it's not, it's not, it's all about punishment and rewards. Well, I did this. God's going to punish me. How many of your kids have blown it before? Listen, when Luke gets in trouble, can I just make, a, just make an observation? He's like Tracy, okay? You don't have to spank them. They already spanked themselves. You know what I mean? Sometimes you got to put a lick on there anyway, you know? Anyway, I don't know why I got off of that, but anyway. See what happens when I try to get theological? Anyway, the Bible isn't against working. Hello? Jesus said it himself. You better get, you better get aware. Let's, look what John says. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up. 
and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are, are paid good wages. And the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. Are you hearing what he's saying? This is Jesus. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants, another harvests. It's true. I sent you to harvest where you did not plant. Others have already done the work. And now you will get a greater, you will gather the harvest. What does that mean? It's okay. It's not okay just feeling. It's not okay just to feel and talk about a burden. You, you know, you got to do something about it. You mean, instead of coming to church and, and singing songs and talking about reaching people, let's do it. Hello. Let's not just talk about it. Because can I tell you something? I've been in places. I remember when we, we used to do, in the ministry, that I, the, the school that I went to, we would do a three-day faith outreach. They didn't talk about it. They dropped me off in the middle of a little town in Oklahoma. There was like 4,000 people there. And they said, here's $20. This is the gospel truth. Okay, here's $20. He said, you can spend it, but you can't ask anybody for food. You can't ask for a place to stay. But if someone provides it for you, you can. But guess what? You can spend the $20, but you need to come back with $20. Okay? For three days. Can I, can, can I tell you something? I came back with $20, and I spent it. And God provided a place for me every night. What may not have been the place I wanted to be some nights... But he provided a place. We did that in our discipleship school with Josh and all of them. And I said, hey, work for me. It's going to work for them. I had one group. Can we stay three more days? The reality is God knows what you need. And see, here it is. The Bible isn't against work. Instead of coming to church and just singing songs and talking about it. I love what 1 Corinthians 15 says. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong, immovable. Always enthusiastically for the Lord. Listen, you know what? I, I, I believe this. When people get excited about God, they're kind of contagious. I'm not talking about the weird people. <laughs> Look at me. You've been to church long enough, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, I'm talking about the people that actually, authentically love Jesus. And they don't have, you know whatever church denomination on the label of their underwear. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm talking about people that love Jesus. And see what happens is, and he says, and he says always, always working enthusiastically for it, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. He, we got three week, we got a three week moment that I want to share with you and take the next step in how we're going to impact people for Christ throughout this region. And so you know what God wants from us? For us to give ourselves fully to the work of God. That means sometimes when the offering basket comes in, you get in it. God, don't, look, God wants you. He don't want your money. He wants you. And part of your money might be a reflection of your heart. He goes, I want to, I wanna, you know what? I want to invest in God's kingdom, and I want to see God's kingdom grow. I want to see people get saved. You know that kid I met there? God, this is seed money for that kid. This is seed money for the schools. This is seed money for that person. You know what? But I just say this, is that you know what God wants from us? He wants us to give ourselves. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 
Can I tell you something? Jesus left the palace. Nehemiah left the palace. This is what Nehemiah said when he left the palace. You see the trouble we're in? By the way, I'm not going to be political here this morning. I'm saying we're in trouble as a nation. We're in trouble as a country. We have some major challenges coming on the horizon for our country. Can I tell you something? You know who's feeling it first? The Christians. Why do we feel it first? Because we're close to God's heart. Are you hearing me? And I'm not going to be political. I'm just telling you, we're in for some challenges. We got some serious issues that God needs to do. And God's speaking to us as a people, as a nation. And it's we got to rise up and not talk about it and not be critical of it or point fingers at it. My question, are you praying for our leaders? You see, Nehemiah saw that his people were in trouble and his response is, hey, let's rebuild the walls. And as a country, we need to learn to rebuild the walls in this community. God's called us as a church to rebuild the walls in our community that can be protected. God's called Pastor Josh and our pastors to be gatekeepers. That's what we are. We're supposed to see what's coming in the gates and go, no, you're not. I remember when they were doing strip joints all over uh, Lafayette. They were opening up new strip joints. And I remember we went and stood before the city council. And I, I used to ride my bike. The Ice House used to be one of the, the strip joints. And we used to go protest. The guy tried to beat me up there one night, you know. Because we, we had a stripper. Got, she, God was dealing with She went in crying and she didn't want to strip no more. True. The owner came out. Oh, you don't. Get off my property. Anyway. That's when you just want, Lord, can you just turn a little bit? <laughs> That's what you want to do in your spirit, you know. <laughs> what am I going to do with my hand? I'm going to knock you out with all my eyes and then I'm going to pray resurrection power over you. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> you can't do that. That's not love. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. But there's power encounters. Can I tell you something? There are power encounters in our community. And God's raising up a people that have a heart, that are seeing, they're aware. Look at me. They're aware. Not only are they aware, but there's a burden. See, we didn't do a helicopter drop just to drop helicopter, just to drop eggs. We have a burden for our people, our kids. They can go do something fun. Come on. And in the meanwhile, we can tell them about Jesus and have a smile. Some people don't go to church and there's a smile on anybody's face. Instead of a, it looks like a funeral home rather than a church. And you can't tell the difference because they got past their disaster up there. Anyway, there's. What are you saying, Pastor Bob? It's time to take action. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how do we take action and what do we do. And what God's called us and what responsibilities we have is the people of God. Amen?